Uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Surge. Uh, we are continuing our foundation series this morning. My name is Eric Reese. I go by E. Um, if you ever get your chance to reduce your name to a letter, you should do it. It's a lot of fun. Today we're talking about faith. And I would say that, especially in our culture at this time, faith gets a bad rap. And as I've been thinking about this message, I've been teasing Karen for weeks about the things that she believes, but just takes for granted. Um, she said the other day, you know, I had a friend that knew this famous person. I'm like, really? Are you, you sure about that? Did you ever see her with the famous person? She's like, well, no. I'm like, maybe your friend is lying. Maybe it was an imposter. Maybe it was a body double. And she's like, would you stop it? Would you stop questioning every single thing I say? And, and the reality is, is that evidence and the scientific method are good, but we just don't live our lives that way. Um, we actually take a lot of things on faith in our day-to-day -day life. And that's not all bad. That's not a bad thing, right? Um, as many of you know, I'm a huge uh, fan of Benjamin Franklin, one of our founding fathers, smart guy. Um, if I could go back in time and punch someone in the throat, he might be at the top of my list, uh, very high on the, on the list. But one of the things that Ben Franklin said, and one of the reasons I uh, am not, he's not my favorite person, is he said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Benjamin Franklin. People quote that description, it makes me crazy, uh, because that's a no. Matthew 5, Jesus says that the road to hell is paved with bad ones. He says that bad thoughts lead to bad actions. Bad thoughts are the seed of failure and we need to guard our hearts. That even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're on the way to adultery. You're, you're in the middle of the sin. Uh, scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? And, and scripture draws a really direct line between what we believe and what we do, what we really believe and what we do. The hard truth is that what we really believe we act on. The rest is just religious talk. It's just religious talk. <laughs> None of us have issues doing what we really want to do. We make room in our budgets for movies and dinners out and whatever entertainment of choice. We make time for friends. We make time for hobbies. We make time for the things that we enjoy. Everybody I know is super busy. We're super busy, but we're not too busy to binge watch the latest thing on Netflix somehow by some miraculous thing we find 13 hours in a weekend to do that, do, do what we want to do, right? The reality is we have time to do what we want to do. And if we believe that we need some downtime or we believe that we need this or that, we can make time to make it happen. Too busy to serve or to help, but not too busy to binge watch what's on Netflix. And I am the most guilty of anybody in this room on that front. When I say faith, understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that's crucial to life. Uh, philosophy talks about this as Dasein or their being, and you'll hear people talk about projecting ourselves into the future, that any action we take in the real world starts with an idea in our heads that's not real yet, <laughs> that we think it might work, and by our will, we move to make it happen. It's true of opening a door or planning a dinner or asking a pretty girl on a date or making the next, next scientific discovery. We think about it in our heads and we think, oh, it might work this way. And then by faith, we move to make it real. The space between what's in our heads <laughs> and what's out here in the real world is very much a faith move. It's a faith move every time, every time. By faith, we do those things. We live right now in the moment. And Jesus is constantly calling us back to live in the moment. But the reality is, we project ourselves into the future. All of us have plans for this afternoon, whether that be a nap or a dinner or whatever, a concert or whatever. All of us have plans for tomorrow. All of us have plans for next week. All of us have plans, vague though they may be, for our lives, right? And our lives don't make sense if we stop them now. And this is the fun part about this. God made us this way. 
He made us this way to live lives of faith, to believe in the next moment that what's coming next is possible and that it's gonna be okay. In fact, scripture says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's a crucial aspect of what we do and how we live. And so today in Romans, the passage that we're gonna read, it's 238 words. The word faith appears six times. So it's like faith, 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 faith. And so, so I sense a theme. So uh, let's dig into Romans. Uh, Romans 1, 8 through 17 says this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. For I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Such a good passage. Uh, This was the passage that inspired Martin Luther. Uh, This was the passage that has inspired every generation since Martin Luther. Uh, This is just a wonderful, wonderful passage and strikes to the heart of the gospel and how to engage it. And honestly, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a story in 2 Kings uh, from one of my favorite characters, Elisha. Um, It's a very familiar story. I'm just going to go through it really quickly, but it's one you've heard before. It's the angels and chariots of fire thing. And what was happening was this. Uh, In 2 Kings, it's a great story. Uh, There's a skirmish between Syria and the nation of Israel. And basically what was happening was Syria was raiding Israel. They were camping. They were engaging in in some minor skirmishes here and there. And God would tell Elisha, they're over here. (laughs) Don't go over here or this. And Elisha would go tell the king. And so they kind of had the upper hand because Elisha had intel on where they were and what they were doing. And the Syrian king is asking these guys, okay, where's the traitor? <laughs> you know, who's, who's telling Israel where we are and what we're doing? And they're saying, it's not, dude, it's not us. It's Elisha. God's telling what you say in your bedroom at night. Um, it's him that you, need to, that you need to deal with. So the Syrian king decides to go after Elisha to cut off <laughs> the intelligence and take him by forth force. So they're in a city called Dothan. Uh, Syrian army surrounds the city. <laughs> and what happens is Elisha's servant wakes up early in the morning. He's doing his thing. He comes out. He sees the Syrian army surrounding them. He knows that they're hostile. He knows that they're there to get him. And he's understandably afraid. He runs to tell Elisha. And he says, what do we do? What do we do? And Elisha says these words, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Literally an army of angels (laughs) surrounding the Syrian army. Um, And what Elisha said was literally true. There are more with us than with them. When the Syrians started to engage, Elisha prayed again. He said, Lord, please make these guys blind. And God said, done. They're blind. (laughs) And Elisha comes out and says, 
these are not the prophets you're looking for. <laughs> you, you need to come with me to the capital city. You know, there's the Jedi mind trick and they go, these are not the prophets. We're li- we, should, we should go to the capital city. So what he does, he leads them a few miles away to a place called Samaria, which was the capital of Israel, gets them into the center court, surrounds them with the Israeli army and says, Lord, if you would please open their eyes, God opens their eyes. And now the surrounders have become the surrounded, right? He's, he's effectively flipped the tables on them. The king of Israel says, wow. We had these guys right where we want them. Should we kill them? Should we kill them? And Elijah says, no, let's not kill them. Uh, instead, let's feed them and send them home. <laughs> so the king of Israel prepares a great feast. He feeds them delicious food. They have, a, they have a good feast. They have some tasty beverages. And then he sends them on their way. And guess what? Syria decides it's not a good idea to attack Israel <laughs> for the time being. It's like they're kind of out of their league at this point. They're going, okay, we, they are not to be messed with. And Elisha, through this amazing faith, without a single life lost, (laughs) shuts down a military conflict on a national scale through prayer and through simple faith. It's this amazing, amazing story. Now, our experience of faith that Paul is talking about, I think reflects in the story of Elijah. So I'm going to use that as a foil to bounce back and forth. But our experience of faith is very much uh, inside out. I experience faith internal to me, And then eventually it bubbles its way out into my life. But we experience other people's faith. And get this, we experience other people's faith from the outside in. We don't know what they're thinking. We don't know the prayers that they've prayed in the middle of the night. We don't know their hearts. What we know is the stuff they say, the stuff they do. And sometimes when they're dialed in, it's really, really surprising. Uh, I just want to, in Paul's first verse, he said that your faith is proclaimed throughout the world, right? It's like a beacon. It's like a light. It's like a thing that my dad sent me. My dad loves flashlights and different things. It's like a thing that shines, right? It's like this thing that shines out. Your faith is being proclaimed. People see it and they're talking about it. It's newsworthy, right? It's unusual. In Romans 1, the faith of the Roman church is being proclaimed all over the world. Paul is praying for them regularly, even though he's never seen them. For Elisha, his faith in this time of trouble is like a beacon. It's worthy of note. It makes the book. (laughs) It's a story that's been told in every generation since it happened. And the interesting thing about the second Kings story is this. It never says that Elisha saw the angels. Maybe he did. I mean, I don't know that he didn't, but it never says that he did. (laughs) It never says that he looked out over the army before he responded to his servant. I'm not sure he was done with breakfast yet. I'm not sure he was even outside when the servant told him, I think what Elisha was doing, and this is just my opinion, I think he was doing what prophets do, right? It's to be responding, I'm afraid there's this thing going on. He says, God's got your back. God has this completely under control. That's what a prophet would say in that situation. He reminds his servant that God is bigger than the thing he's afraid of at the moment. There are more with us than against us. It's the kind of thing that people talk about. It's a faith that gets told and then retold. (laughs) It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Like the Romans' faith, Elijah's faith was like a beacon. It's like a beacon. Second thing that that Paul touches on in faith in this chapter, it's over the next several verses, I I would call it encouraging faith. As we encourage each other by being who God is calling us to be, Paul says it this way. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you that we may be mutually mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want to be with you, to preach the gospel with you that we may be mutually encouraged. (laughs) Have you ever had that moment? Have you ever been in a place where 
you were in a conversation and somebody said exactly the right thing at the right time, <laughs> right? Where they just kind of dropped it on you. And it just had a weight to it. Have you ever been there? When you were hurting or struggling, somebody took you in, spent some time with you when they didn't have to. What about a time of unusual growth or learning? Was there someone who was a catalyst for that, that uh, set the stage? Did you ever have a spiritual mentor that helped propel you forward? Um, part of God's plan for us is that we encounter those people, right? They push us forward. And part of God's plan for us is that we become those people to help push others forward. Look for opportunities to be Elisha in that moment. Someone's freaking out and say, you know what? <laughs> this too shall pass, right? God, God loves you and he cares about you. Let's pray about this and see what, see what might happen. As a church, the surge, <laughs> Part of our purpose, and I'll just say this out loud, it's for us to be an ICU, an intensive care unit. We're going to see, over the next coming months, the next coming years, we're going to see an unusual number of people. I think churches always attract this kind of people if they're healthy, but we will see an unusual number of people who have just gotten clobbered by life. <laughs> I mean, no kidding, next level clobbered by life. Who are broken, who are hurting, who may not have a lot to say, who may sit and cry. I can think of story after story after story. And, and why do I say that? I look around the room, um, and it's just who God has kind of made us to be. An incubator for people who are getting, who are going through a truly tough time with circumstances that are, no kidding, hard ones. And yet there are people here that can love them. There are people here that can befriend them. And for some reason, God has given us a spirit of rest, of safety, um, even for the grieving, even for the broken. So as we come out of those things, we understand, no kidding, suffering. We understand hard things health-wise. We understand hard things family-wise. A real dynamic of faith in action is that as these people come to us, we will get to encourage them. We will get to love them and bless them because we've seen cancer. We've seen, you know, relatives that go to prison for awful things. We've seen brokenness. We've seen things that are tough. We have a real heart for people who are hurting because many of us have been hurting ourselves. It wasn't that long ago. For Paul, he had a gift of teaching and explaining this new thing that God was doing. And not just with the Jews, but with everyone. And he wasn't avoiding Rome. Actually, he was trying to get to Rome. Remember that Paul's strategy was all about cities. Because in the ancient world, cities were, were a gathering place. Everything flowed into the city and everything flowed out of the city. And so Paul's strategy was a really smart one. He would go establish a church in the city. And from there, it would go out to the surrounding communities. <laughs> it would go out naturally through the natural networks that happened through agriculture, through farming, through commerce. It would flow out to the surrounding area. Rome was <laughs> the apex predator of that thing. He was dying to get to Rome. He really wanted to get to Rome to establish a church there or to, to do something there because everything went to Rome. All roads led to Rome. And, and when he was expressing the desire to go there, he was being entirely, entirely serious. For Elisha, <laughs> I would bet all the money in my pockets against all the money in your pockets on the encouragement side that when Elijah's servants heard him say the words, don't be afraid, they're more with us than against us that he believed him. <laughs> I think it was one of those moments where he went, He's not just talking. I mean, like it just had, I, I think it had a weight to it. I think it had a gravitas to the moment. I think there was something there. And even before he saw the angels, 
he knew something was up. When he did see what God was doing with his real eyes in the real world, I think it brought his faith to a new strength. It was encouraging. (laughs) It was encouraging. We mutually encourage each other with our expressions of faith when those moments of opportunity come. We're encouraged. We encourage each other. And we need community to do that. We need to be together. We need to be open to these opportunities. And sometimes we're Elisha and sometimes we're the servant. And we need to be aware of a faith that can encourage each other in these divine moments in this sort of way. So we have beacon faith, we have shining faith, we have encouraging faith. Finally, uh, we have what I would call a pervasive faith. It's a living faith. Uh, In these last two verses of this passage, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God, it's revealed from faith for faith, for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the last faith that Paul is talking about, this last aspect of faith, it goes deeper than apparent and newsworthy, which is really good. It goes even deeper than encouraging, which is also really good. But this last one goes right to the foundation and to the very, the connection point of faith that makes its way into every aspect of life. It's ongoing, it's powerful, it's (laughs) all-inclusive, It reaches into every area with God's love and grace. Now, this, this passage, it's cool, but it's actually kind of a complicated uh, construction in Greek. So let me unpack it just a bit. I think it'll help us. Uh, but the word for ashamed, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, has a really specific slice of meaning. It's tied to <laughs> honor and identity. Namely, I didn't side with the wrong team and get clobbered, right? I didn't identify with the wrong side and then was humiliated because of that. And what Paul is saying is that because he has identified with the gospel, that's not gonna end badly for him. That's gonna end well for him. That's actually a good thing. And this is something that the Romans needed to hear. In the context of Rome, this was a really important idea because these guys were getting martyred. <laughs> they were getting fed to the lions. They were getting boiled in oil. Nero was using them as nightlights for his party. They were having some, some hard times here. Their suffering in the name of Jesus was profound, but it also had a purpose. And they needed to know that God had not abandoned them, even though hard things were happening. They needed to know that their suffering in the name of Jesus had a purpose, it had a redemptive energy, that in God's way and in God's timing, he was going to bring it all together, and that it was not in vain. It wasn't for no reason. He's telling the Romans, stand in the very center of the truth of the gospel, because there are more with us than there are against us, even if it looks bad right now. Later in this passage where it says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, in the Greek, it has this idea behind it. From the first step of faith to the last step of faith, from A to Z, in terms of faith, the righteousness of God shines out of this expression. And notice that it's not the righteousness of man that God is trying to fix, right? That's the path of religion. That's the the following list of bureaucratic rules that that so many other religions get caught up in. Uh, Regulations to get better, self-improvement to this and that. The incremental steps to improve yourself and over time that makes a difference. It's like, no, that's not what we're doing. Our our prayer is not that God will help us eke out a little, little thing today and a little thing tomorrow, although progress is good. What we're asking God is to radically change us, right? New life, like old life dead, new life 
alive and it can be a lot faster than you think. We're asking the Holy Spirit to come into us and that's not an incremental thing. We do walk into that over the course of our lives and there is a sense of progress, but I'm telling you, it can get a lot better and it can get a lot better right now if we understand the full power of what the gospel can bring to us. To have something happen that's amazing, not a little thing, but a big thing. To have no doubt that God did it. <laughs> you see, this, this, this is why faith comes into play. If it's an issue of self-improvement, well, yeah, the Muslims can do that, the, the Buddhists can do that, but Christianity is something different. We're not talking about the righteousness of men. We're not talking about me, you know, slowly becoming a better me. You know, it's like, no, we're talking about the righteousness of God shining through a flawed and broken vessel in a way that there's no doubt that that's God and that God did it. Listen, in the, in the story with Elisha, it's not Elisha being incrementally more clever yesterday than he was today to defeat the Syrians and yay, good process and hooray for Elisha. No, Elisha did something that Elisha couldn't get done, <laughs> right? He said, God, can you do this thing? And God does this amazing thing. There are more with us than against us. And the presence of God was surrounding Elisha in a way that Elisha could not cook up on his own. The faith that we plug into plugs us into a power that is so much greater than what we can do. Elisha wasn't into marketing or crowd-pleasing programs. He walked through that situation by faith in a God that not only protected Israel, but revealed God's heart towards all of us. And this is the kind of faith that Paul is talking about to the Romans and to us. Listen, this is, this is the kind of faith, it leads us away from fear. Ah, there's an army coming to get me, what do I do, right? It leads us away from fear deeply into, there are more with us than against us, into trust. For Elisha and for Paul, this is a faith that's very connected to prayer, right? I pray for you guys all the time. I, wish that, I, I want you to understand the gospel and Elisha prays at every step of the journey and God does amazing things. It's a faith, it's a faith that opens our eyes <laughs> to see what God is doing and to give us a more complete picture of what's actually happening now. It's a faith that has real results. It's not just pie in the sky. There actually were angels sitting on chariots of fire, right? I mean, they were there. When Elisha prays, stuff happens. Amazing stuff happens in the here and now. It's a faith that brings real encouragement, real encouragement in tough times. Like the king and Elisha, it's a faith that leads us away from vengeance, away from, well, they've been getting us, let's get them back, and to generosity, <laughs> to a grace even to, to our enemies, to people who are out to get us. Feed them, give them a tasty beverage, send them on their way, <laughs> and they're just befuddled by the, the kindness that God can, can bring. It's a faith that touches us individually, <laughs> that touched Elisha and his servant individually, that touched Paul individually, but it doesn't stop there. It goes to community to reach into the servant, to reach to the king, to reach to the freaking Syrian army, for goodness sakes. And for Paul, it reaches to Rome through a letter. It reaches to the Christians in Rome when he eventually gets to visit them. It reaches to us through this book that's been handed down from generation to generation to generation. It makes its way up to national impact, right? For Elisha, this thing that's him and his servant going on, it very quickly spills into the national conflict between Israel and Syria. For Paul, the gospel that he's talking about, the faith that he's talking about that's being proclaimed, that's being celebrated, that's being encouraged, goes to Rome, the capital city, and it has a no kidding impact on history with a big H, right? 
And this is a great word for us. This is a great book for us because guess where we are? (laughs) We are the surge. We're part of God's church, part of his purpose, part of his plan. And we're five minutes away from the capital city of the United States. Who knows what path downstream he might have us play? Who knows what person that he might have us encourage, that he might have us pray for, that he might have us speak over, that can no kidding do things on a national stage. We're right here, right? We're in the town. Who knows what God God will do? The letter to the church in a capital city is a great book for us. So well done, Dwayne, to choose this one to go through. (laughs) And the gesture live by faith, it's just a great line. It's just a great line. So this morning, here's what I'd like you to do. Let God speak to you about faith. About faith that can be a beacon that can shine, that people are willing to talk about. (laughs) Um, Let faith be an encouragement to others. Like let your ears perk up when somebody says something and God says, you should go talk to that person. Go tell them it's gonna be okay. You know, go tell them they're gonna get a kidney. You know, it's like go tell them whatever it is, the strange thing that God is telling you to talk to them. Don't be afraid of that. Let it be an encouragement. (laughs) Let it be the kind of faith that has real results that is filled with power. Let it flow into your life, showing the righteousness of God in an A to Z kind of way. Because if we can plug into that, we'll find a source of power that nothing can stand against. And it'll be amazing, the stories that will come. The stories that will come. God, make it so. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the faith that you've given to us as a gift. And Lord, I pray that you would help us understand it, that you would help us accept it, that you would help us step into it in a new way. Lord, I know everyone here is coming from a unique story, a unique perspective, a unique set of gifts and talents a unique set of connections with friends and family. Lord, I pray that you would just speak over us powerfully, center us uh, with who you are, fill us up in a new way, and let us spill out love as you give us chances to do that. Lord, I pray that you would draw everyone here into the very center of your will, that you would bless them and love them and let them feel peace and power and your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Every week we take communion uh, to remember what Christ has done for us and to take the idea of (laughs) Jesus' love and his sacrifice into ourselves. So let's take a minute um, and celebrate communion.